You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Take Me to Your Leader, Part 5. Enjoy. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your rejuvenating presence in us this morning. We magnify who you are in our lives. We thank you for living giant in us. We thank you for reigning in every area of our lives. We thank you for enforcing and instilling and making a reality, the resurrection life of Christ, the reality of everything Jesus did for us in us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing yourself to us more today. That when we walk out of here today, we're going to be stronger in you than we've ever been before. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We are in the midst of our series entitled, Take Me to Your Leader. And we're talking about alien life on planet Earth. And we're going to start with some outer space humor I don't know if you guys are, are follow the developments in NASA at all over the years. have been an amazing organization. But years ago, uh, I remember seeing a story that NASA discovered how to put a baby astronaut to sleep. It was really cool. Do you know how, how you put a baby astronaut to sleep? You rock it. R-O-C-K-E-T. Yeah, and, and, and of course, with the onset of the Hubble telescope and the advancements of technology, they were able to determine beyond the shadow of a doubt that they found in the very center of Jupiter is the letter I. So it's amazing the things they're, they're doing. <clears throat> All right, moving right along. Take me to your leader, alien life in planet Earth. We're growing in the realization of who we are in Christ and why we're on planet Earth, why we're here. And 1 Peter 2.9 has been our go-to scripture. It answers both of these questions. And let's take a look at it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's talking about you. The Bible has a lot to say about you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're born again. It says you are a chosen race. Who chose you? Right? God did. Sure he did. He loves you. He thinks highly of you. And he's chosen you to be his very own. You are a royal priesthood. Have you ever seen a, a royal wedding on TV? Something to see, isn't it? You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance in heaven about you. Because of God's thoughts toward you and his love for you. Hallelujah. Heaven celebrates as you grow in your relationship with Christ. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Here's, here's the why you're here. That you may proclaim, show forth, 
and display the excellencies, the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's who we are and why we're here. We're no longer of this world. We used to be of this world, but now we're born of God, not of natural demand, not of natural decision or human descent or a husband's will, but born of the incorruptible seed of God's word. Now God is our father, heaven is our home, and we're here on earth on a mission, on an assignment to show forth who he is everywhere we go, to show forth the goodness of God to the world around us. So as God's offspring, we should be steeped in and overflowing with the goodness of God. It should be overflowing in our thought life, in our speech, in our actions, in our relationships. Now I'm going to say something that you've heard before. It's a very simple, short little statement. One of the simplest statements you'll ever hear, but it's also one of the most powerful and life-changing statements you'll ever hear. And that statement is this. God is good. God is good. It's the reality of this simple truth that changes everything. It changes the way we think about ourselves, about others, about him. Changes the way we talk, the way we live, the way we interact with people. It changes our goals, our perspectives, knowing that God is good. I want to give you some synonyms. Know what a synonym is? A synonym bun? No, not a cinnamon bun, a synonym. It comes from the word synonymous, the same as. Words that mean the same as good. Are you ready? God is good. God is superior. Excellent. Superb. Outstanding. Magnificent. Exceptional. Marvelous. Wonderful. First rate, first class, all the way from West Coast to East Coast, right? Sterling, satisfactory, acceptable, not bad. <laughs> all, A-L-L, right, R-I-G-H-T. Great, terrific, fantastic, fabulous, awesome, God is. Let me give you some antonyms of the word good. God is not bad. He is not evil. He is not wrong. He is not corrupt. He is not poor. He is not ill. He is not small. He is not unhealthy. He is not unpleasant. He is not inclement. He is not harsh. God is good. 
do you know that God is good? Well, if you think that sickness is a blessing, you don't know him well enough. If you think that God, it's God's will for you to be sick or that God is trying to teach people things through sickness, you don't know him well enough. If you think that tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and accidents and tragedies are acts of God, you don't know him well enough. Do you know that God is good? Why is this important? Because we're on a mission. And it's personally knowing and experiencing and understanding the goodness of God that transforms our lives and the lives of those we meet and minister to. It's knowing the goodness of God that empowers us to fulfill our mission. And there are many ministers over the years and pastors and Christians that have preached when a, a, a tornado or a, a, a hurricane or a tragedy happens that it was the judgment of God. And nothing could be further from the truth or the heart of God. You know the judgment of God is not going to fall on America or any other nation as long as the church is in the earth. I mean, even in the old covenant, when God uh, was, was allowing his judgment to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their gross wickedness and evil, that Abraham... Uh, had a conversation with God that if he could just find, what was it, 10 righteous people, they'd be spared? You think maybe we've got 10, 10 followers of Christ in Massachusetts? Maybe, yeah, we do. Yeah, a lot more than that in America and around the world. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people who have named Jesus the Lord of their lives. And because of that, right, God's judgment is stayed. Now, after we're raptured and out of here, well, I don't know about what's going to happen then, but I'm not going to be here. Are you coming with me? Amen. It, I wouldn't want to be here during that time of tribulation because things are going to change on the earth. So instead of proclaiming these statements based on ignorance or man's religious doctrine or based on someone's experience, we're proclaiming the goodness of God. Amen. And you see, you know, you can misunderstand the Bible, even though it's the Word of God. You can misunderstand the Word of God if you don't know the heart of God. You can misunderstand what's going on in the world around you if you don't know the heart of the one who made you. Just because you've experienced something doesn't mean that it's God's will for your life. 
We're living in a fallen world that's falling apart. So in order to understand the Word of God, you've got to know the heart of God. And the heart of God is good. There's no wickedness in it. Jesus came to earth to reveal to us, beyond the shadow of a a doubt, the very heart of God. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. So we are people who know the will and heart of God. And we have good news to tell people. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in, excuse me, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. When was that? What, it, what is the writer of Hebrews referring to, back in the Old Testament, right? That was a while ago. In these last days, talking about when he's writing this and right now, right? God has spoken to us, how? Through his son. So we're not waiting for any prophet to come, right? Now, there is a a gift in in the New Testament church, the gift of a prophet, Praise God for that. But God has spoken to us in these last days through his son. So if any prophet speaks forth anything out of his mouth or her mouth that's contrary to the ministry and person of Christ, don't accept it. That's not God speaking. That's that's someone making a mistake. Do you know that ministers make mistakes? Apostles make mistakes. Do you know that? Do you know Paul made mistakes? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers make mistakes. So you've got to know the heart of God so that you're not moved by the mistakes of ministers. I'm not putting anyone down. We're just all people, right? So our, our, we're not looking to a, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher to be perfect and to do everything just so. We're studying the scriptures. We're letting the Holy Spirit reveal to us the heart of God. And we're looking for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that know the heart of God. Right? And boy, we find them. We hook up. Right? In these last days, he's spoken to us to his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3. Love this scripture. And he is the radiance, who's he? That's Jesus, right? Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature, all right? Jesus did not deviate in any way from the heart of God. He perfectly revealed it to us without exception. All right? The exact representation. So if we're going to fulfill our mission and proclaim and show forth and display the excellencies and goodness of God, who Jesus revealed himself to be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John must be exalted in our thought processes and in our mind and in our heart. I love how Jesus said it. Eden, can you pull up Matthew 18.3. Love this statement. 
Let's, let's look at this. This is the exact representation of God's nature talking. This is the heart of God speaking. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become a doctor of the law, a Bible scholar and seminary graduate. I'm sorry. Did you put up the wrong scripture? Oh, oh, I just read it wrong. Okay. Unless you become converted, become as little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of God. Of heaven. Why is that so important? Because Jesus made knowing God so simple. And he had such a, a difficult time with those who are highly educated in the scriptures. Not all of them, but a number of them opposed him because they studied the scriptures and they they, they didn't they didn't like the things he said, the things that he did, because it didn't line up with their understanding of God. But he is God. So in order to fulfill our mission, we've got to become like little kids. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7. See, this is so different than man's religion. Man's religion makes you think that knowing God is this high, lofty, uh, difficult, years and years of study and labor kind of a thing. But it's not. So, in fact, you had people, Jesus made this so simple. You had people who studied the scriptures their whole lives and couldn't recognize God. And then you had people who didn't know the scriptures at all and were getting healed by God. Like the Syrophoenician woman, no covenant with God, but she knew he was good and that if she could come to him, he would heal her daughter. Yeah. She wasn't a doctor of the law. She didn't graduate from seminary, but she recognized God because you must become like a little child to experience him. Look how simple. And see, I'm glad Jesus said this because if I, I'm going to read what, what the heart of God said in, in Matthew 7, verses 7, 11. But if I came out and just said this, boy, would I be criticized because it's so simple. But it's Jesus talking. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Whew. Can't get much simpler than that. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open. What's the secret code? What's the password? What's, what's the combination? Just knock. Just ask. Just seek. For everyone who asks, receives. See the heart of God here? He's made himself available to anyone and everyone. All you've got to do is believe. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. See, that takes all the labor, the striving, the, the heavy work out of this thing, out of religion. See, religion has got so many heavy things you've got to do, but Jesus just says, ask, it'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. Verse 9. And here it is. I, this is just great. This is Jesus. What man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
A child understands that. And we have a lot of stones on our property. And boy, they're hard. And if I, if one of my children was hungry and I gave them one to eat, chances are they'd break their teeth trying to eat them. And if the rock did break, it'd splinter in their mouth and probably cut their inside of their mouth and their throat. Right? That would be evil. We can all clearly and easily see how wrong that is, right? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. My wife, boy, she knows how to prepare fish, and it's so delicious. And if I'm sitting there eating fish and my child wants some, and instead I I would give him a viper, doesn't make any sense. Never in a million years, right? Just ridiculous. He's making it as plain, as simple as it can be. If you then, being evil, right? You saw he was talking to fallen sinners, right? People who are not born again. If you then, being evil, being uh, mortals, not being God, know how to give good gifts. You know, everyone on earth knows how to give a good gift to a kid. You don't have to, they don't have to go to class to learn that. If it's Christmas time and they have the means and they see a kid in need, they want to give them something. And they don't give them stones or serpents. They go to Toys R Us or they give them something that they know is going to make that kid smile. We all know that. How do we all know that? Who told us that? What class was that that we took? Because we were made in the image of God. And we know how to bless kids, right? But if we know how to do that, how much more? Way more, right? He's a much more God. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Wow. Have you ever had anyone say to you, be careful what you pray for? The person who said that to you doesn't know God well enough. That's a foolish thing to say. What are they implying? That if you pray something to God that isn't quite correct, or maybe you shouldn't have, God might do something in your life that you're going to end up regretting. What kind of God do they serve? I don't want to serve a God like that, and I don't. So if anyone tells you, be careful what you pray for, just know that's someone who doesn't know God well enough. You don't have to be concerned. Uh, Am I praying right? Should I ask God for this? Ask. Talk to him. If it's something that's not good for you, he'll shine light in your heart through the Holy Spirit. He'll let you know that there's something he has for you that's better. He won't hurt you. Not going to hurt you to teach you a lesson. That's evil and dark, and that's not the God that we serve, right? Jesus taught here that God's character is good, reliable, and predictable. (laughs) Wow! That is the opposite or very different from what I learned in church growing up. I learned that God was unpredictable. He was mysterious, and you never knew what he was going to do. 
if you ever hear anyone say to you, God works in mysterious ways, that's someone who doesn't know him well enough. Didn't say he doesn't know him at all. We can all have somewhat of an understanding of who he is. But if we think those ways, we don't know him well enough. Not saying they're not saved, but we want to know him better than that. All right? Hallelujah. So Jesus kept it simple. And this is Jesus' standard in understanding God. Would a good father do that? And that's what I told, uh, I think it was Eden, when our kids were having our Bible time a couple weeks ago. I said, when you're reading the scriptures, if you read something that doesn't, about God that doesn't seem to line up or make sense with his character, ask yourself the question, would a good father do that? It's one of the keys to understanding Scripture and understanding God. In other words, many of, there are passages in Scripture, and we're going to look at, at, we'll see how many we have time to look at. We'll look at at least one or two of them. That you can totally misunderstand God by reading them, especially in the Old Testament, because of the way they're translated in English and, and even in the Hebrew, the way that they're written. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you that in a little bit here. So there are things you can read in the Bible and totally misunderstand God. So if there's anything you've read in Genesis through Revelation that's, that's, that's made you wonder, or, well, maybe God does want people to be sick, or maybe God does cause tornadoes, or has caused you to come to these conclusions, you've misunderstood the Bible. I want to show you some great examples of this, all right? You've misunderstand, misunderstood the Scriptures, and you misunderstood the Bible. If I read anything in the Scriptures and I come to a conclusion about God that seems contrary to what a good father would do, I've made a mistake. Say it one more time. If I've read anything in the Scriptures and I've come to a conclusion about God that is contrary to what a good father would do, I've misunderstood the Scriptures and I've misunderstood God. Okay? So when I'm reading the Scriptures, whatever it is, I ask myself the question, would a good father do that? Based on what Jesus just told us. In Matthew 18, 3, in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, he's the heart of God. So anytime I'm reading any scripture in the Old Testament or the New Testament epistles, I'm always lining it up with the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay? So let's take healing for an example. A lot of confusion around the subject of healing. I can meet any person anywhere in the world at any time, and without reservation, I can t- say to them with total confidence, it is God's will for you to be healthy now. Without knowing anything about them or what they've been through, I can say that without You say, how can you say something like that? These are things that that. that some pastors and ministers get very upset about because they'll teach that it, it, it is God's will for some to be sick. That God is, it's a blessing. That they're going to learn things through this sickness. And, and, and that, that is as wrong as wrong can be. God has no sickness to give anyone. He never has and he never will. 
He didn't create sickness. That came after sin, after the fall. Sin and sickness go together. It's not God's creation. Okay? So let's look at this. Now, we're going to look at a scripture. See how much time we got here. In the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, we see the heart of God in action. And you'll see in Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9, uh, there are two times in Matthew where he gives us a comprehensive summary of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And Matthew chapter 4 says something like this, And Jesus went about teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. It says that in Matthew chapter 4 and again in Matthew chapter 9. So in Jesus' ministry, we see there were three priorities. Teaching, preaching, and healing. Healing what? All manner of sickness, according to the scriptures, and all manner of disease. Matthew records that that at certain times great multitudes came to him, which would be thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I mean, when the scripture talks about multitudes, it could be talking about anywhere from 10 to 15,000 or more. So great multitudes, who knows how many were there. And it, it says, and he healed them all. He didn't say, well, have you fulfilled your requirements this week? Right? He didn't put these conditions on them to be well. Because he loves them. And and what what his concern was is he wanted them to be well. Right? Religions put conditions on man if you want something from God. Jesus didn't do that. He said, come to me. Ask and you'll receive. Now, let me give you an example of some misunderstanding. So Jesus revealed that God is the healer. Without question. In fact, you won't find even one example in the ministry of Jesus Christ, not one of any person who came to him and Jesus said to them, it's better for you to be sick. It's a blessing. And I wanna, uh, you're going to learn something through that. Not one time. I mean, if he did one time, maybe we could look at that. Maybe. But you can't even take one scripture and build a doctrine of it. It has to agree with the heart and character of Christ and the rest of the scriptures. Okay? But he didn't even do it one time. He healed all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. In Matthew chapter 10, he anoints his disciples to do the same. It says the same thing. To heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. I think it's in Matthew 15. They brought unto him the the blind, the lame, the maimed. And it says the lame uh, were made whole. The maimed, excuse me, it says the maimed were made whole. People who are missing limbs are made whole through Christ. Same is true today. If you're missing a limb, a body part, you can have a new one today. God makes whole. And the only reason for not believing that is doubt. People say, that's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's off the charts. How's someone going to get a new arm by believing in That's who he is. That's what he does. He makes us new. 
New spine. You can have a new spine, new knees. Sure you can. Sure you can. This is, this is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus that we are fellowshipping with and worshiping now. All right? This is what he demonstrated. You will see it clearly over and over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And his disciples continued it. Now, but you can read certain scriptures like Exodus 15, 26. Let's pull that one up. So according to the ministry of Jesus Christ, God is the healer. Without question. You have to create some kind of different doctrine to challenge that. Jesus revealed this. But look at Exodus 15, 26. Back in the Old Testament. And God speaking, he says to the Israelites, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put, what? None of these diseases upon you, which I have brought, uh-oh, upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? This is not the only place in Scripture you'll find this. Let me share some things with you about this. Remember, if you read anything in the Scriptures that seems to contradict what a good father would do, you've misunderstood God and the Scriptures, all right? Now, boy, I wish... I have about six pages of stuff on this, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of it, enough so you can understand what I'm talking about here. There was a concept that developed in the people of the Old Covenant. It was a, a slave bondage concept. They rejected God over and over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, we were watching a special on uh, Nova, and it was archaeologists digging in Israel. And they discovered a ton of idols. And they weren't Christian men. I don't know if they were or not. They were just archaeologists. And this one was making a statement. He said, you know, people would like to think that Israel worshipped God, but in reality, they worshipped a lot of things. And they are basing that on all the idols they found in the midst of Israel's uh, archaeological findings. And if you read through the scriptures, it's true. They sacrifice their children to these foreign gods. They performed horrible acts of murder and sacrifice and rape and incest. Not all of them, but a gross majority of them. And as a result, the, you know, they opened the door for the devil in their lives. They fell into bondage with nations. But God did everything he could to deliver them, save them, and preserve them in spite of their continuous rebellion. And when you reject God, your thinking goes wacky. And there's a thinking that was permeated among these people that whatever happens is God's will. That God is God. If it's evil, it's God. If it's good, it's God. A lot of darkness goes with rejecting God. Your understanding becomes dark. Now, several Hebrew scholars in talking about Exodus 15, 26 and other scriptures like this 
make this statement about the Hebrew. The Hebrew language does not have the necessary faculties by which to convey the idea of granting permission or the idea of giving occasion to another party on which to act. I'll explain this in a second. Instead, an active verb tense is used. And the reader is meant to understand from the context or the known nature of things or the known character of the person that permission or occasion is being implied. What does that mean? In other words, the Hebrew language did not, it lacked the, the faculties to be able to communicate the allowance of something. Instead, it, it records it as the, the person caused it to happen. And you'll see this not only about God, but you'll see it about people. I, what does it say about the midwives? That they, it, the way it's said in the Hebrew, it's like they saved the babies, or they, but, but, or, or they gave life to those babies. I forget how the Hebrew says it, or you read it in the English. But they, they were just there to help deliver the babies, but they didn't give life to the babies. In other words, so the Hebrew, the way that it's worded in the Hebrew, it, it assigns cause to the person instead of uh, showing you that it was simply they allowed it or, or, or uh, were, were present as it happened. Is that making sense? Let me read you a little bit more here. You following me? In other words, there's a difference between allowing something and causing something. So in other words, in Exodus, the proper way to understand Exodus 15, 26, because we know God would never put a sickness on his child. Didn't Jesus tell us that? Right? So the proper way to read that is, I will not allow any of the diseases that I I permitted or allowed to come upon the Egyptians, I will not permit them to come upon you. That's a better way. That's that's a more accurate way of understanding that. You following me? Right? Now, people, people will say this, well, God allowed it. And what they're implying is it must be his will some way. And again, that's someone who doesn't know him well enough. God will allow you to do whatever you want to do. Sure. I can go drive my car into the ocean if I want. God will allow me to do it. Is it his will? Of course not. So because God allows it, it has nothing to do with his will. Sometimes he allows things because he has to. Because he's made us free individuals, free beings in his image. We have the power of free will. All right? There are things God does not have a choice in. He gave the earth to man. And he doesn't take it back because we blew it. Right? He gave the authority of the earth to Adam. And and Adam gave it to Satan. And now Satan is the God of this world, not because of God, not because God wanted it that way, but because Adam gave it to him. All right? The people say, well, God created Satan, didn't he? Well, no. You could say yes and no to that. Actually, God created Lucifer, who is a bearer of light, an angel of worship, 
But he had a free will, just like all angels did, and he, he became conceited, arrogant, and prideful, and he chose to rebel against God and became dark and evil, and now we know him as Satan. It wasn't God's will for that to happen. So don't fall into that trap. Let me read you some more from some scholars, and there are various scholars here. This is from John Howe and Dr. Thomas Pierce and Richard Hooker from a, a book from the, uh, 1862 entitled The Providence of God in the Light of the Holy Scripture. They're speaking again of this, what I just read you about Hebrew. They say this, It, it is then so common in Holy Scripture to speak of God as actually doing that which he simply permits, like the scripture we just read, and many more. He simply permits and does not absolutely hinder men from doing that, that this may be justly regarded as an idiom of Eastern speech. So he's saying this was an Eastern concept, an Eastern speech, where they would put it in the active tense. They don't even really use the word tense. It's more of a state when they're talking of some, and the way to really discern who really did it was by knowing the character of the one who said it. That takes us back to what we said at the beginning. You can't know the heart of God, the word of God, unless you know the heart of God. No one understands my words better than Jennifer, as far as earth people go, right? Because she knows me better than anyone else on planet earth. So she, I could say something to her, and she would understand. I could say it to you. You might not, because she knows my heart, right? And if you took what I literally said, you could really misunderstand me. There are things I'll say that aren't meant to be taken literally. She knows that, because she knows my heart, okay? So we must become like little children to know the heart of God. It's that simple. Would a good father make his child sick? Never, all right? So this, this, this scholar here, these three scholars are talking about this Eastern uh, idiom of Eastern speech. And then they go on to say, let's see, this is good. You guys doing all right? Just interesting to you? I like learning. Perhaps this form of expression may have been occasioned, in part at least, by the poverty of the Hebrew language, which contains no term. You understand the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Right? So we translate it in the English directly from the Hebrew. Which contains no term that accurately expresses what is understood by simple permission. So that things which God did not choose absolutely to hinder, he is said to have done. That make sense? Let's go and read that one more time. Uh, perhaps this form of expression may have been occasioned in part at least by the poverty of the Hebrew language, which contains no term that accurately expresses what is understood by simple permission, so that things which God did not choose absolutely to hinder, he is said to have done. Then Robert, Dr. Robert Young, uh, in, who did Young's Analytical Concordance, and in the beginning of that, he has his hints to Bible interpretation, and also he did a, an article uh, I think he did a separate book as well on that. But anyway, um, from the hints here, one of the things he said is that these active verbs frequently express the permission of instead of the cause of. All right? Let me give you another example. Isaiah chapter 45. Oh, boy. We're running out of time here. Okay, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. 
This is God talking, well, 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 this is God talking through the, through, to the king of uh, Persia, right, Cyrus. And he says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though you have not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. He's speaking to someone who doesn't know him. Okay? Verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Wait a minute. Does that seem contradictory? God creates evil. Well, a better way to render that would be judgment. But anyway, does God create evil? Would a good father create evil? No. See how simple you can understand that? You don't have to know anything about the Hebrew. Just would a good father do that? Now, this is what uh, one scholar, this is from uh, John Gill, who's a biblical scholar and Baptist pastor from the 1700s. This is from John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible and it's, he's talking about this very passage. These words are directed to Cyrus, king of Persia, and must be understood as spoken in reference to the Persian sect of the Magians, who then held light and darkness, or good and evil, to be the supreme beings, without acknowledging the great God as superior to both. Isn't that interesting? So the king that he's speaking to saw good and evil as two separate gods, both being equal. And God is trying to reveal himself to him, saying, I am the sovereign Lord. I am over your gods, right? I am the God of heaven and earth. Very interesting, right? So God creates light, Right? But certainly, let me read you some scriptures about this. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I, the Lord, and I create darkness. See? See? So you can't take one scripture from the Bible and, and build your beliefs off of that. It has to agree with the person and ministry of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And it has to agree with the rest of Scripture. It has to be a truth that is taught throughout Scripture. Do you understand? This is important because we want to represent God well as aliens in earth. So there's one Scripture, 1 John 1, 5. 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion. So the author is one who creates. So therefore, he doesn't create confusion or darkness. Psalm 5.4, thou art not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with thee. Mm. Psalm 145.17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Wow. See? So as aliens in planet Earth, We've got to know the heart of God. So in any of your thinking, if there's a question mark in your mind or heart about God's will for your life regarding healing, regarding blessing, prosperity, strength, life, wisdom, provision, ask yourself the question, would a good father do that? 
would a good father desire this for his child? All right? Good? All right. Hallelujah. Well, that's all we have time for. We're going to continue next week. I'm so excited about it. So we'll, we'll continue. We're out of time for right now. Father, we thank you for your heart revealed to us. You are good. There's nothing bad about you. Not a stitch. There's not a little bit wrong with you. You're perfect and holy and pure and righteous in all your ways. And we thank you for revealing your heart to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord. We thank Holy Spirit, make us like little children in our understanding of your heart and of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.